Everybody glad you're here? Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful that you're here, but I'm sorry. Um, to, I want to apologize to all of you that I didn't get to greet personally. Uh, I'll try to start in this section and go this way next week, but I'm really, really grateful uh, that you're here. I love you. Those joining us online, we're grateful that you're with us in your jammies. <clears throat> okay. Just to be fair, everybody come in their jammies next week, okay? Because it's better here in the room, right? God is so good. Hey, um, if you're with us for the first time, we are, we are delighted. You know, we should just take a moment and be amazed at a God who is willing to arrange and maneuver and orchestrate in our lives. I mean, somehow, someway, at some point in this week, he put his arm around you to draw you to this place, to draw you to this moment. I mean, you've cracked open your heart in worship, and now he is ready to speak his word, his life, into your heart. And um, I'm so grateful you said yes to him and uh, that you're here or that you're with us online. If you're brand new, uh, you've caught us on the front end. This is the very first teaching in a new series called Understanding Jesus. We're moving verse by verse through the letter Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians, and you'll find it in your New Testament part of the Bible. But let me start with this question. What would you be willing to be arrested for? What would you be willing to go to jail for? I mean, the incarceration may be for years. What would you be willing to be arrested and go to jail for? Today, I want to tell you the true story of a man who got himself arrested on purpose, went to jail, and endured incarceration for some years for the love of his church. You're like, oh, that wasn't even on my top 10. Yeah, this is the true story of Epaphras. That's his name. And his time in, in, in jail was just the tip of the iceberg of his story. You see, he grew up and lived in Colossae. It was just a town. And uh, there he had friends and he had family. He uh, had a way of life. He had a way of making a living. But he walks away from it all, turns his back on everyone and everything, uh, not necessarily in betrayal, but for breakthrough. He walks away from his family, his friends, his way of making a living, his town. He goes on a 100-mile hike to the big, bustling city of Ephesus because he has heard that in Ephesus there is this man named Paul who is proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. Phenomenal teacher, and this Jesus is a miracle worker. In fact, to, to validate what Paul teaches, he's working unprecedented miracles as well. And so Epaphras goes to Ephesus. And uh, he, he is there because he's heard. Others have come through Colossae to let him know. And he's got to go and hear for himself. Now those who have come and heard and seen, they've come back. But here's what they heard from this Paul in Ephesus. Here's how the Bible tells it. Paul's preaching, and Paul says to his audience, hey, you're ready for the real thing, and the real thing is Jesus. And they were ready. As soon as they heard, say heard. heard. Yeah, it's a big deal word in this text because it's connected 
closely to the next phrase. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized. Notice that hearing comes before baptism. Faith grows by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. They heard the word of Christ from Paul. Bam, they believed. Bam, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, when Epaphras shows up in Ephesus. He sees this incredible move of God taking place, much like you've experienced here in this church over the course of the last three or four months. I mean, people, all kinds of people from all walks of life, all ages, were surrendering their lives to Jesus and being baptized. In fact, it was in Ephesus that when Epaphras heard the teaching of Paul on Jesus crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, that he surrendered his life, that he was, he was baptized. You know, I wonder, I'm not sure how he felt when he saw this incredible move of God, others being baptized. I'm not sure exactly what he felt when he was baptized. But I wanted to know. I wanted to figure out, and so I went to Turkey. Ephesus is in Turkey. I took my son Wilkie, my wife Debbie, and a bunch of people from church. There's uh, my son Wilkie and Deb uh, with me in Turkey. And uh, the first week of our trip, we went into Israel, into the Holy Land, and we explored and investigated all the places where Jesus worked miracles and where Jesus taught. And after a week, we did what Epaphras did. We went to Ephesus in Turkey. I wanted to walk the same streets there that he he walked, but mostly I wanted to be on the spot or near the spot where the apostle Paul proclaimed Jesus. And here's as close as I could get. <clears throat> this is a picture of the library in Ephesus uh, today. Um, our group from church here, we gathered on the steps, took a picture, but it's somewhere very near this library, it's somewhere very near this library that the Apostle Paul rented a lecture hall and every day proclaimed Jesus crucified for our sins and risen from the dead. Here's how the Bible tells it. Paul, taking these newly baptized believers with him, he set up shop at the lecture hall of Tyrannus and preached there daily, every day. This went on for the next two years so that everyone in the Turkish province of Asia Minor heard the Lord's message. Now, to me, that's a mind blower. Everybody in Turkey hears the Lord's message. How did that happen? I mean, Paul, he is anointed by God. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is preaching every day for two years, but he's just in one location. How did the message of Jesus get to every person in every location? The same way that every person in the state line area, right here where we live, comes to hear the good news of Jesus as we pray for our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, and invite them to join us here to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins and risen from the dead. Well, for two years, every day for two years, Epaphras sits under Paul's teaching, just absorbs the word of God. And when Paul leaves, Epaphras leaves, but not to follow Paul. He goes home. He goes to his friends, his family, his neighbors, his work associates, and he starts a church. And the church just flourishes for 10 years. But when it gets big enough to be noticed, it suffers severe attack from outsiders. The outsiders are super critical of those inside the church. The outsiders think they're intellectuals. 
They take the, the, the name Gnostics. Gnosis is the Greek word for spiritual, a special spiritual knowledge. They're like, we're smarter than you guys. We know what you don't know. And here was the attack. Here's how they brought the attack against the church. It's words something like this. Hey, we agree with you. God is good. But God, if he is God, he is so good. He wants nothing to do with human beings. He is so good, he won't even come close to a human being. God is so good, he won't embody a human being as you claim he embodied Jesus. Now, Jesus, we agree, great guy, great teacher, did great things. Crucified, meh, maybe, but certainly did not rise from the dead. Jesus is not God. There's a similar philosophy pervading the culture of our youth today. Young people are very interested in Jesus. But they believe in all kinds of other gods. And when, when, when Epaphras saw this outside attack begin to permeate the thinking and the hearts of the people in his church, he started freaking out. Just like maybe we should freak out over what's going on in our culture today in terms of believing that Jesus is not God, just a good person, just a great teacher, did some great things. You see, he understood it was an attack on the very heartbeat of faith in Jesus. Now, if you're unfamiliar uh, with faith in Jesus, I want to give you a, a synopsis of the heartbeat of following Jesus. Here's what we believe. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is everything good you can say about Jesus is true of God, and all the attributes of God are true of Jesus. Jesus is as much God, Jesus the Son of God is as much God as God the Father is God. That's our first primary belief. Jesus is God who came to earth to save us from our sins by inhabiting human flesh. In fact, he came to earth through human birth. He was born the creator of the universe. You see, Jesus as God, he has no beginning. He has no end. He is the everlasting God, and he created all that is. But he was willing to inhabit sperm and unite with the seed of a woman, float down a fallopian tube, and after nine months of gestation, God is born in human flesh. We celebrate it at Christmas. And then Jesus, he lives to be 33 years old. And through that, the course of his life, man, he doesn't know sin. He doesn't do sin. He doesn't say sin. And it's a battle. I mean, he wars against sin. He is tested and tempted and tried in every way that we have, but where all of us have failed miserably. Jesus passed the test every time. It was, it was a ferocious battle. He was tenacious in his war against Satan, but every single time Jesus won until he had lived a perfect life, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. Why? Because we're not perfect. But when we believe that he is God who died for our sins and rose from the dead, his perfection becomes ours. He lives a sinless life, and then he willingly laid that life down on a bloodstained cross 
in our place as our substitute. You see, on the cross, he is getting all the punishment we each deserve for our sin. He's paying the penalty of our sin and God raised him from the dead. There's the heartbeat uh, of faith in Jesus, that Jesus is God, that he came to earth through human birth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and God raised him from the dead. And so uh, when Epaphras sees this um, horrible heresy beginning to infiltrate the church, he thinks to himself, oh my gosh, I gotta find Paul. I gotta get to Paul. Wherever Paul is, I gotta talk to him. I gotta tell him about this trouble. Paul will know how to combat this heresy. Now, he has no idea when he leaves home. He, it's not going to be a 100-mile hike this time. He travels over 1,300 miles, but he's willing to go any distance, pay any price, bear any burden, make any sacrifice to get to Paul to save his church. It's just that when he finds Paul, he tracks him down in Rome, and Paul's in jail. He's incarcerated and the only way that Epaphras can get to Paul is by getting himself arrested and getting thrown in jail. And when he does, he just pukes it all out. The whole problem, the, the attack, these really smart guys that think we're really dumb and they don't think Jesus is God or that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Paul sits down and he writes the letter to the Colossians. Now, how do we know that Epaphras got himself arrested and thrown into jail with Paul? A couple of years later, Paul writes this. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And so... Um, Paul whips off a letter. I mean, I, I want you to understand that God breathes on Paul. And as Paul writes, he writes under the breath of God. All of scripture is God breathed. But it's not a very long letter. It's only like 95 sentences. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. In fact, you want to hear something funny? 50 years ago when I was born, <laughs> 50 years ago when I was a, uh, in, in college, in third year Greek, um, my assignment, along with that of other students, was to write a book on the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. It's, it's only 95 sentences, but I wrote 265 pages. And I got a B. Now, the good news for you is that I'm not going to open this and look at anything I wrote out of a 21-year-old brain for you. Because as a 71-year-old man, I see life completely differently than I did as a kid. When I was 21, I didn't know anything about marriage. When I was 21, I didn't know anything about parenting. Not the joys, not the heartaches. At 21, I had suffered no grief, no anxiety, no depression, I, I had not suffered much. I had not sinned much. I, I, I had not loved much. I had not known devastating heartache. I had not known great hurt, nor I had, had I brought great hurt on those I loved. That would happen over the course of the next 50 years. 
But now with 71-year-old eyes, when I read the text, I know now that I am absolutely desperate for Jesus, that I can't live without his sustaining strength, that life isn't worth living without his peace and purpose, that my Jesus is all superior, all supreme, and all sufficient for my needs and yours. Praise the Lord. I know, I know, friends, I am desperate for his forgiveness, for his mercy, for his grace, for his strength in my weakness, for his wholeness in my brokenness. I need a full and fresh experience of his deep compassion, his everlasting kindness, his unshakable, unfailing love, and so do you. So let me take you into the book of Colossians, not from a 21-year-old kid's perspective, but with the eyes of a 71-year-old man. Look at the text with me. Paul writes, from Paul, messenger of Jesus Christ by God's will. He's writing this because the people, the Gnostics, who thought they were so smart, they were just making stuff up. Friends, this is the inerrant word of God, true from beginning to end. It is God-breathed, God-inspired. This is the truth of Jesus. And Paul was telling them, hey, in your, this chaos and in your doubt, you gotta choose what you're gonna believe. Young people today, you gotta choose what you're gonna believe. You're gonna either believe the truth of Jesus or you're gonna buy stuff that people just make up. In fact, we have this terrible tendency that when we have painful problems, when, when we face hurt and difficulty, emotional chaos, we tend to turn to our girlfriends or our drinking buddies or Facebook. And all you'll find there are the wrong answers or human opinion. And I need more than somebody's opinion, friends. I need the truth of Jesus Christ for my marriage, for my life, for my kids, for this church. So we got to decide, what are we going to go with? Are we going to go with the truth of Jesus? It's not that I need Facebook. I need my face in the book. This is the truth of Jesus. And I'll tell you, the rest is just a lie. It may come out as an opinion. It may come out as a perspective. It's just a lie. How do I know that? Because Jesus said Satan is a liar. He has lied from the beginning. He is a murderer, a destroyer, and a thief. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to kill your life. Satan was lying through the Gnostics. Just like Satan. I believe every attack on any church, Satan is behind it. I believe any attack on any believer, and I don't think that there's a devil behind every rock, but I know this. Uh, I'm a type one diabetic. I don't believe the devil calls that. I don't believe God calls that. I believe cotton candy and lots of slushies cause that. <laughs> no, but here's the deal. That's my, that's my life. Um, I get to shoot up four times a day. Aren't you jealous? But Satan will take a sharp stick and poke that in my struggles. Try to make it feel worse. My dad has advanced cancer. Satan didn't cause that. God didn't cause that. Satan will try to take a sharp stick and poke it in my heart over my concern for my dad. But Satan is a liar. 
He is a murderer, a destroyer, and a thief. In Colossae, he tried to destroy the church by stealing the truth. He did cause a temporary crisis. That's the best he can do in your life too. It's just a temporary crisis. And what Satan intends for evil, God will use for good. Look what God did. He gave us a letter to the Colossians. It's only 95 sentences. But it, it shows us, it throws a light on the all-supremacy, the all-superiority, and the all-sufficiency of Jesus. That Jesus is God, crucified for our sins and risen. And it has endured for 2,000 years. Satan can create a temporary crisis, but God will take it and use it to your good. So what do you do? You put your face in the book and you trust the truth of Jesus because the truth of Jesus will defeat the lies of Satan every time. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your emotions, in your thoughts, he defeats the lies of Satan every time by his truth. Now, I got two gifts for you this morning that I'd like for each of you to receive and take home. One is this study guide written by our pastor, Walter. Now, Walter thanked me recently that he is free from the killers, the kidnappers, and all the violence in Haiti. But I thank God that he's here to, to write this kind of work for us. So pick this up on your way out. It will take you through the first eight verses of Colossians, something for every day, five days this week. And I want you to see it. What I want you to see through the eyes of a 71-year-old man is that when Paul is explained the problem, he understands how dangerous the problem is. He understands how terrible the problem is. He does not attack the problem. He applauds the people in the church. He applauds them for their faith, hope, and love. And I find that, man, Paul, that is a tremendous principle for my marriage. When I have conflict, don't upfront attack the problem. Don't just chew on your spouse. Applaud. Applaud your spouse for their faith, their hope, their love. You're going to have problems with your children, not your grandchildren. They're perfect. But your grandchildren are your reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers. <laughs> we all have problems with our kids and all kids have problems with their parents. But we don't attack the person. We applaud the person for their faith, their hope, and their love. Let's be the church that gets Jesus on his feet, giving a standing ovation for people of faith and people of hope and people of love. So I want you to pick up on that as you use the study guide this week. But let's, through the eyes of a 71-year-old man, let's look at the opening lines of the letter, a letter written from jail. Here we go together. From Paul, messenger of Jesus Christ, by God's will. Also, I got my brother Timothy here with me. We send our greetings to all the faithful Christians in Colossae. 
grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's not in this thing that I wrote 50 years ago, but what I see with 71-year-old eyes now is that the first thing the Apostle Paul does is elevate to equal status God the Father and Jesus God the Son. Jesus is God. Let there be no mistake, Jesus is God. And on the basis of Jesus being God, when you believe that, you put yourself on the receiving end of God's grace and God's peace. Notice that grace comes first. If you don't know God, you'll never know grace. If you don't experience Jesus, you'll never experience grace. And if you don't get the grace, you'll never get the peace. But he prays over them grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now maybe you're unfamiliar with the term Grace. So let me just put it in words that helps me. Grace is God loving the unlovely. That's me. I have 50 years of ugly, evil imperfections in my life. You have imperfections in your life, ugly. You have said ugly things. You have thought ugly things. You have done, we all have. But when we believe that Jesus died for our sins and God raised him from the dead, God takes all David's ugly, evil imperfections and God hides them behind his back so he can't see them. He takes all your ugly, evil imperfections and buries them in the deepest seed so that they can never be retrieved. Psalm 103 says, he will not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our sin, but as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his love for those who love him. As far as east is from west, so far has he removed our unloveliness, our sin and imperfection from us. Woo! Number two, grace is God loving the unlovely and grace is God fully, freely forgiving the unworthy. Fully, freely forgiving the unworthy. There's, there's no way I can make myself worthy. There's no amount of good things you can do to compensate for all the bad things you've thought, said, and done. The grace of God is God just fully, freely forgiving you, wiping the slate clean, giving you a fresh start, a new tomorrow, a new life, making you a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Is it because of your worth? No, it's because of the goodness of God. And that leads me to number three, the grace, grace is God being radically good to the undeserving. I'm the unlovely. I'm the unworthy. I'm the undeserving, as are you. And yet when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead, God is radically good to you in every area of your life and you trust in the goodness of God. Now, if you want a picture of grace, it's baptism. Look at these words from the Bible. Change your life. You want to get to grace? You want to get to peace? Change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Here's the grace part. Your sins are forgiven. Here's how the Apostle Paul had it said to him. What are you waiting for? Get up and get yourself baptized. Here's the grace part. Scrub clean of all those sins. And here's the grace part. Personally acquainted with God. That's my heart for you that you would experience the grace of 
God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would know his peace. Well, I said I had two gifts for you. The second gift is a prayer. If you'd stand with me, please. I'm going to have a prayer for you every week when you come. You'll receive this prayer as you walk out, but I'd like for us to pray it together uh, now. And um, I'm going to just have you close your eyes, if you would please, and bow your heads. Because with your heads bowed, uh, you're able to be humble before God. With your eyes closed, you can look into your own heart. And we are going to pray this prayer together. I'll just pray it, and you just pray it right after me. But friends, this is not some kind of chant. This is David talking to God for his stuff, and this is you talking to God about your stuff. So here we go together. Please pray with me. Jesus, I know you have forgiven me. Help me, Lord, to experience your forgiveness every day. I know you love me. I love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to pray with you personally. If uh, I can serve you in any way, if you'd like to be baptized, Jake and I will be right down here. Please come and uh, come into the presence of God. Uh, come to give your life to Christ. Come to join him in baptism. Please come as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.